Welcome to the Long Thread Podcast about spinning, stitching, and weaving by hand. The podcast is presented by Long Thread Media, publishers of Spinoff, Handwoven, Piecework, and Little Looms magazines. Find us online at longthreadmedia.com. I'm your host, Long Thread Media co-founder Anne Merrow. We've partnered with the Surrey Network to bring you their story and help spread the word about their mission. Join us for a conversation in this sponsored episode. So joining me today are Liz Valcamp of Salt River Alpacas. Hello. And Laurel Shanelin from Bluebird Hills Farm. Thanks for having me. And so you folks are here with the Surrey Network. And when I was looking up Surrey, I have to confess, I did know what I was looking for. But Surrey Cruise featured pretty heavily in the search results. And so you must be pretty accustomed to having to explain to folks what are Surrey and what is the Surrey Network. Can you fill us in? Surrey Cruise was born after the Surrey Network, so that's a little bit more helpful. But the Surrey Network is a group of alpaca owners that have this Surrey breed, which has a different fleece from the more common Wakaya breed. So both of us have been in the industry for quite a while, and uh, we've both been members as well for quite a while. It focuses on the special characteristics of the Surrey to promote and preserve the breed and the products that have been made from it. So you mentioned the words Surrey and Wakaya. What do those words mean? There are two different hair types in a sense, kind of like long-haired dachshunds and short-haired dachshunds. The Wakaya breed has a crimped fiber that sticks out perpendicular from the skin, much like uh, sheep's wool. Whereas the Surrey has long, straight fiber that hangs in locks from the body. So the hair is basically hanging on the sides of the animal. So they, they appear very different, but conformationally, they're both pretty much the same. So if I think of, if I picture an alpaca in my mind, what am I likely to be imagining? Is that a wakaya or a, or a surrey? Uh, that's a great question. So probably what's going to come to mind first is a wakaya. Um, and that is simply because there are more of them. And so you're likely to see a wakaya before you see a surrey. And that is the case both in the United States and globally, including Peru. And that's one of the reasons, actually, that we formed the Surrey Network, oh. was just because there is a larger alpaca association uh-huh. that represents both breeds. But just given that Surreys were kind of the you know minority in the minority, I think the Surrey people just felt like we wanted to make sure that we had a voice. Sure. Yeah. And what is it about Surreys that sets them apart and makes them special? Really, I think it is their flowing locks. They're really, oh. yeah. So, you know, if you're shearing them every year, you're probably just going to see maybe a five to six inch growth. Um, some of the younger animals can go up to maybe eight inches if you're shearing them every year. Some people will see what we would call show animals. So those are animals that may be left in full fleece for a bit past 12 months. They may go to, say, 18 months or even up to two years. Mm-hmm. And that's when you can really see long flowing locks. Mm-hmm. And uh, that tends to grab people's eyes. Boy, long flowing locks. It makes me think of running along a beach or <laughs> a shampoo commercial. It's just inherently, it just sounds so luxurious. <laughs> it is. And it mm-hmm. is what grabs people. Yeah. It's very luxurious, and and one of the outstanding qualities of Surrey is the inherent luster. Mm -hmm. Within that fleece, it has a very shiny surface, 
Um, and microscopically, that's because of the way the fibers are structured differently than and than uh, sheep's wool or wakaya. Mm-hmm. It also has a very, what we call a cool hand, a silky hand that also distinguishes it from other natural fibers, animal fibers, I should say. Eight inches, that is a hugely long fiber. Yeah, it is. And like I said, usually once you get past, say, well, it depends on when you're shearing. Like a lot of times I have animals that are born in the early fall. Uh-huh. And so when shearing comes in the spring, they've maybe just got five inches on them. And then that next growth, though, because they're young and they're just really putting out a lot, it's not uncommon for me to get, say, seven or seven and a half inch you know, length to them. So there's certain mill machinery out there that can handle that longer fiber. But it is... It's definitely different than wakaya or sheep's wool. Even the coarser sheep breeds don't typically get that long. (laughs) And I think angora goats or mohair, at least in the commercial sector, a lot of times I believe that they shear twice a year. So they can get a really long growth too, but they're shearing twice a year. So they're getting, say, two batches of four inch as opposed to one of eight inch. How many of these series are there? And I guess I'm probably asking just in North America, but I would imagine that we're not the only folks who have these kinds of alpacas. I plead ignorance. I'm not sure how many there are. Do you know, Liz? I, for some reason in my head, I guess I usually think that there's sort of like a a three wakayas to one Surrey kind of ratio. I'm not going to tell you where I've come up with that. That that may be just from our own breed association, Uh thinking about that, that there's kind of a roughly a three to one ratio. But I would say that that is not a fact. <laughs> Rule of thumb. <laughs> but it does, I do think that it gives you some idea. If anything, that's probably high. Mm-hmm. So it does yeah. give you an idea of their rarity. So is it the fiber that drew each of you to wanting to work with Surrey's in the first place? Or was there something else about the animals that really appealed to you? There's no doubt that the wakaya is cute and fuzzy. <laughs> And it wins a lot of hearts at at first look. But there's something incredibly regal about a Surrey out in a pasture with the sun beaming down on those locks, Mm -hmm. especially when they start to run and those locks are swaying back and forth, catching the sun with their silky reflection. There's romance there and there's, as I said, regality. So that's what really caught my eye. That. Mm -hmm. That and the fact that they, they are more rare, you kind of gravitate towards things that are a little bit more special because there aren't as many of them out there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, it's interesting for me, I just have a business background mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that I agree with Laurel that I was drawn to their rarity yeah. and I think I looked at it a bit more probably from a business perspective and just felt that there was such an opportunity to create a lane, if you will, for Surrey by itself. Mm-hmm. I kind of knew early on in my research about them, et cetera, that most people, when they think about alpaca, they think about wakayas. And so it just seemed to me as just kind of maybe an entrepreneurial spirit, it just seemed like a great opportunity to define a fiber that has actually been, you know, Surrey's have been a domesticated animal for at least 5,000 years. Wow. And yet, Still, in this country, certainly, nobody really knows what it is. 
And I find that fascinating and I find it a really great business opportunity. That's interesting. So it's it's an opportunity, but also something that you're working to fill that gap a bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it came with a niche market in yes. a sense. And what what makes them different is really the fiber. Is that correct? Is, are there other differences between Surrey and Wakaya alpacas or is it just that they have a different special kind of fiber? Um, I believe that there are some personality differences and there's huh. there's one conformational difference and, and that has been noted by veterinarians and people who went to South America at the time of importations. The, the loin or the back strap muscle that lies on either side of the spine is actually a little bit thicker and I think they are stronger in some ways than, than Wakaya's are. So I would say that's one difference. I find that my Surreys, while they may be a little bit more prone to being skittish in a sense, they're actually the ones who seem to bond closest with me out in the pasture relative to my Wakaya's. It's like once they trust you and are comfortable with you, you have a friend for life. I have one that's like a dog and she'll follow me around the pasture and is constantly by my side. And I've never really seen that with any of my Wakayas, so it's interesting. Now, Laurel, you you mentioned the word confirmation, and I, I suppose I should mention now you are you're also a, a, a livestock judge. You are an alpaca judge as well, is that right? That's correct, yeah. So everything yeah. between the show ring and working with the fiber, you're you're in for the whole for the whole thing. The whole shebang. The correct. whole shebang. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah, confirmation refers to how an animal is put together, how whether it's proportioned correctly, whether it's knock kneed or all of those elements. That's what we refer to in, with the term confirmation. Mm-hmm. You said at the time of importation. Can you can you tell me a little bit about that? How long have how long has it been since Surrey's were first imported? I believe the first imports were what nineteen ninety seven. Liz, is that a, maybe a little earlier than that? Nineteen for the Surrey's. For the Surrey's, maybe 1995. I think it was earlier because I thought the last... I started in 2004 and the importations were done. I believe there were six importations. One of them came through Canada, the last one. Correct. But I think they had to have... I think maybe the last one was in 98. I honestly don't know. You got in a little bit before me. Yeah, there were a couple of importations after 98, but it, it's early 2000s were the last importations. But when the first ones were, I'm not sure. The first importations were were primarily Wakayas. So, yes. And, yes. And, and those alpacas, started in the 80s, I think. Right. Yeah. 19, I think 85, something along those lines. And those importations um, were from Peru, Bolivia, and Chile. And those are, of course, the countries that alpacas are native of. But, but interestingly, the whole camel family, which alpacas are part of, originated in the United States. The first fossil record was found in Kansas. So it's kind of intriguing that they migrated down to South America to form the, the New World camelids and the, uh, the camels went across the uh, the Bering Straits to uh, to Asia and then Africa. So it is amazing to think of those as being such close kin. <laughs> yeah, they've actually crossed a uh, camel with a llama and had a live, live animal born, and it was called Kama, which I thought was a oh. great. 
It's a great name. <laughs> yeah. Not sure what you do with it, but. So everybody who's in the Surrey network, everybody who's a who's a breeder has been working on animals that have just been brought into the U.S. in the past, say, 40 years. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Oh. We see different trends in the fiber arts. What sort of trends have you noticed from the Surrey alpaca world over the past few years? So, you know, I think for growers here in the U.S., we have sort of always focused on a yarn that is not brushed. I think from a trend perspective, just generally speaking, Peru does brush all of their Surrey. They do that uh, whether it's a woven product or it's a yarn product, knitting product. And I think that more recently, people have sort of rediscovered in the knitting world, I think people have been rediscovering that brushed Surrey. The characteristics and features are going to be the same um, in terms of luster and drape and that sort of thing, but the look would be different. I think for U.S. growers, I think there is more of a push um, over the last probably five years or so to see the product in woven form. So I think it's something that growers have long wanted here in the U.S. And I feel like in the last five years or so, I'm starting to see more people that are dabbling in fabric and weaving with it. So are you thinking hand weavers or commercial textiles or what, when you say to see it woven, what do you, what do you mean? I think, yeah. So I think definitely I'm seeing um, more of the growers who do both breeding and fiber arts. I'm seeing more of them working with it in woven form. Maybe that's just me paying attention, but it seems to me that there are more, more people doing it. On the commercial side, certainly for U.S. growers, it's a little more challenging to put something into a woven, commercial woven product because the fiber is so rare, so we don't have a lot of it. And then to get a really high quality commercial fabric, you want the fiber to be fully worsted. Um, so you want it to run through a mill that has combs. And here in the U.S., there's not much of that. So there's a lot of semi-worsted where you can put it through a pin drafter, but there's not much in the way of actual combs. So it's a little more challenging, but I've done it. But my stuff I sent to Italy. Italy actually has worked with Surrey and has worked with Peru for a long time. So Europe tends to be a little bit more familiar, at least with the brush product. So when they got it, they kind of knew a little bit more what to do with it. But that's a good point that if they're fairly rare animals and you have to have enough of them to really make something with, even to send them to a mill, it's very special and specialized. Yes. And you have to, there's sort of that crossover between, you know, from a mini mill to a commercial Uh mill. And it's a pretty big crossover for a number of reasons, but certainly quantity of pounds is one of those hurdles that you have to get, uh, have to get over. So I have historically, I haven't done as much in the last couple of years, but historically I've bought fiber from, uh, Surrey fiber from all over the U.S. to try to accumulate that poundage that you can send off to develop some commercial markets. Sure. Well, the other the other issue is the nature of Surrey makes it a little bit more challenging to spin. The scales on the cortex of the fiber are very, very close and tight to that fiber, and they're longer, which means the fibers don't grab onto one another as well as they do with other animal fibers. And that makes it a little bit more difficult to spin. You have to add a little bit more twist. Many mills aren't really, especially the mini mills, aren't as comfortable doing that. So they'll ask if they can blend 
another animal fiber or some other fibers with it to, to make spinning a little more predictable and uh, consistent when they go to make the yarn. Yeah, and then when you get into the commercial side, I think the machinery is such that the mini mills tend to, I guess the way I describe it is they tend to be a little more horizontal. So the slivers come out of the barrel. They don't have to go very far up into the spinning frame. And so there's a little, there's a greater chance the sliver is going to stay together. On the commercial mills, I think between the speed at which they're going and the distance that the sliver has to travel, a lot of times you need, it, well, at any time I've worked with a commercial mill, you, you need to put something else in there for sure. Something that has a little bit more grab. Hearing that explanation about the structure of it, it does sound very much like silk. So it makes sense that you said it has a lot of luster and it has a cool hand. Those are all properties that you think of as being related to silk. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there have been studies done about, you know, the, the differences using electron micrography looking at the difference between Surrey relative to other fibers. And it became really obvious that that was the explanation for many of the traits we saw with our eye and saw with our hands. Now we could quantify and see them by looking at uh, electron micrographs, which was pretty, pretty fascinating. So you mentioned that you're seeing it more in woven fabric lately. Are you also seeing knitting and crochet and other places where people are incorporating Surrey into their work? Absolutely. I've been a participant in a fiber festival for many, many years, way back since, you know, the early 2000s. And at that time, we spent all of our time just talking about what an alpaca was and and trying to explain to people what this is alpaca yarn and what's that. Is that like, is that related to an emu was the most, for some reason, popular question. <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised. We still, do they lay eggs? We we still get those questions, but wow. not not with the frequency that we, we did 20 years ago. Oh, I thought maybe they weren't laying eggs with the frequency that they did 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really slowed down. <laughs> so... Many more people are familiar with alpaca, whether it's wakaya or surrey, and that certainly makes selling the yarn much easier. And of course, if, if people know more about it, then they're more likely to hear about using it, and their friends are going to tell them how great it is and encourage them to use it as well. So I think it's picked up. So if you came across a spinner or an, a knitter who was interested in trying surrey, what would you recommend? So I think... The, the one thing that I would certainly want to convey to people, and Laurel actually, from an actual spinning perspective or a knitting perspective, Laurel can probably add some flavor to this because she's more familiar with actually doing the spinning. I know kind of the technical components of it, but Laurel's actually the person who's doing it. So the one thing that I try to convey to people is that Surrey is different to not expect to sit down at a wheel or pick up some needles and just start spinning or knitting like they have with their wool products or even with their, what we would say, alpaca products, meaning wakaya. Right. That Surrey is different. It's not bad at uh -huh. all. It's wonderful. And once you get the hang of it, people just absolutely love it. But you do, you definitely have to approach it as a new fiber. Yeah, I think the expectations should be different. Because of the crimp and wakaya, which is the same thing that sheep's wool has, that provides some memory, that provides loft to the yarn, and it provides some memory in your garment as well. 
Uh-huh. So when you go to use Surrey, you have to understand that this is a very straight fiber. So it's not going to have the memory, and it's going to have some weight to it that causes things to drape more. So when you go to use it, you have to take those qualities into consideration. And Liz, you actually had some tips for how to successfully knit with Surrey. Do I remember that? Different ways that you could knit with Surrey that would make it perform just the way you wanted it to? Yeah. So I think just following on Laurel's comment about Surrey is drapey. That's, I mean, to me, when people say, well, what is unique about Surrey? I say luster and drape. That's what it's going to bring to your garment. So my advice to people oftentimes is to sort of embrace that drape. Don't make it something that it isn't. So if you are selecting the fiber or the yarn for a particular project, make sure that project isn't form-fitting. On vests, for instance, make sure that they are a vest that might drape. They're not going to be something that fits to your midsection. Sweaters, the same thing. That's really going to be the best design decisions for you when you're using the yarn. The other thing, too, is that I think knitters have maybe recently come upon as a trick, if you will, to work with Surrey and to Make sure that you don't end up with something that's really kind of drags or grows over time. And that is to either select design patterns that knit on a diagonal, anything that basically breaks up that pattern. So instead of just doing a straight stockinette, you might want to have some other type of design in there that kind of breaks that up and allows the yarn not to, not or the garment not to grow. That's interesting. I thought at first you were speaking about you know, something that's knitted on the bias, which would give it even more drape. But it's so drapey already that you can think about that in terms of the stitch pattern. Yes, it really is drape. I have a a yarn that I make that is actually a 40% wool, 60% surrey. And it's a, you know, kind of a chunky yarn. But even that, even with 40% wool in there, you still get a nice drape to it and, and nice luster. Yeah. Do both of you have yarn milled with your fiber? Liz does it on a much more commercial scale. Most alpaca breeders, including Surrey breeders, will have their fleeces. Sometimes they'll just take a singular Surrey fleece and send it off and say, this is Buffy's fleece and, and mark it as such. Some of us will take all of our fawns and combine them and, and do a run. Fortunately, we're coming along as an industry, not just uh, Surrey breeders, but alpaca breeders in general. And we're talking about grading and sorting our fiber and making sure we get everything that shouldn't be in the the fleece out of the fleece, skirting the fleece, so that the products that we're creating now are much better than what we probably did 15 years ago because we're much more knowledgeable. One of the characteristics that alpacas are really known for is their wide range of color. Does that carry through for Surrey's as well as for Wakaya's? It sure does. does. And yeah, it's fun in the pastures to see them polka dotted with various colors. And we certainly, when the alpaca shows, they're actually divided into different color groups to compete. So it's a wonderful aspect of the Surrey and the alpaca in general is that not only are they in various colors, but they also do not have lanolin in their fleece Uh the way sheep's wool does. And that makes it a much more sustainable fiber because... It doesn't need the scouring that uh, some other fibers do. So you combine the fact that you can get all these beautiful colors without applying any dye with the fact that it's very easy to clean and take care of. And it's one of the big bonuses of having alpacas. I'll give a little different spin on, on Laurel's answer just because I come from it a bit more from a commercial perspective. 
From a commercial perspective, it can be a little maddening to have all the zillions of colors. Laurel has come and graded for me before, and I am forever trying to throw everything I can into one color group, just because if you think about it, I'm trying to get quantity. And when somebody is, you know, any farm is sending in six different colors, you know, or 10 different colors, because there's different shades of medium brown or different shades of dark brown, et cetera, and they're sending all that in. And then you get different lengths, staple lengths, and you get different micron grades. You can end up with easily 120 different SKUs. So I'm sort of forever trying to put it together. But the one thing that I would say, and this may take us to a sort of a little bit different topic, but actually one of the other characteristics I think about Surrey is that it takes a dye beautifully. And... While there are definitely people out there who enjoy the natural earthen colors, Uh a lot of times I really feel like something's being left on the table if you're not dyeing it or over-dyeing it. Both Laurel and I have had experience with over-dyeing on the fawns and even on the browns, and it's a lot of fun, and Surrey really does take a dye just so beautifully. Actually, that sort of makes sense with what what you were saying earlier about the wonderful properties of silk. It's another characteristic that it shares with silk. Yes. And the over-dyeing is fun. I've had people come into my booth at, at festivals. And of course, you know, a lot of times artisans really, they're so visual. And the colors on the over-dyed yarns will just amaze them because there's just that that background to the color that you have. And they're really intrigued, I guess I will say, by the over-dyeing. It adds a lot of depth to whatever color you're using just makes it pop, I guess is the best way of putting it. So you were speaking about really trying to raise the quality of Surrey fiber over the last period of time. Is that related to why you decided to pursue a trademark for Surrey Simply Stunning? Yeah. So uh, the Surrey Network really has quite a strong history of education for its members, not only educating the public, but also educating its members on what makes uh, quality fiber. And a lot of that has to do with the breeding of the animal. And we've had a number of programs through the years. And along the way, we felt in addition to, I think I had mentioned earlier that certainly my desire, but I think Surrey owners in general desire to really give Surrey its own lane and define it as its own fiber. And I think between that and all the various education we've done, we felt it was important to actually put together a program that members could use that represents the quality that they have put into their breeding programs and into the products that they sell. And through that, we came up with um, what started off as, I guess, more of a slogan or a logo, Surrey Simply Stunning. And from that, we actually decided to trademark it. And we went through the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and we're able to come up with, basically, we used our breed standard and we're able to use that breed standard to define what quality is. So those people who sign up are basically become licensees. They pledge to, you know, do their best to adhere to the programs and educational material that we've provided to provide good animal husbandry and to focus on all breeding aspects, so both fiber and confirmation, if they are a breeding program. And from that, then they're able to use the Surrey Simply Stunning mark. So it's no longer a logo, it's actually a a mark 
They can use it in their barns if you're coming over for a farm tour and you may see a sign, Surrey Simply Stunning. They can use it as hang tags on their products. They can hang signs in their stalls at shows and they can run ads with that mark on their ad in various publications or on websites, et cetera. But it is a mar- it is an indication of quality. And that's the quality of the fiber and also of the animals. Is that right? Yes. Many of our members are breeders. Uh-huh. And so, and some of those breeders really are just focused on breeding. They're not necessarily focused on making end products. So we wanted to make sure that we had a mark that they could use because they're selling their fiber. And they may be selling their fiber then to somebody who makes Surrey products and is a licensee also. Uh-huh. They might not necessarily be growers. They may have Surreys that are used more just strictly for agritourism and they're not necessarily breeding. So there are elements to the mark that both the breeder can use and that a fiber artist can use. And so if I, I as a knitter, spinner, or weaver might see it if I was going to purchase some yarn or some fiber, but then also in my fantasy future life where I have a couple of animals. <laughs> if I was were going to to pick up a few Surrey alpacas, I might also find the Surrey Simply Stunning mark associated with that. Is that right? Yes. You could ask the breeder that you're purchasing your Surreys from. Are you a licensee? If you're going to a fiber festival and you just see yarn, um, you may see both that Surrey Simply Stunning hang tag and then the farm's hang tag that gives information about the yarn itself. And then you know, okay, this person has put sort of that extra care and effort into making this product. And that includes, I think, as Laurel talked about, that would include skirting the fleeces to limit the vegetable matter in there, grading the fiber into the you know micron levels, making sure that the fiber that you're using is going into an appropriate end product. So if you're buying a rug or if you're buying rug yarn, you're not going to want super fine Surrey, because it's not going to hold up. You're actually going to want the coarser Surrey that is much more sturdy and durable. If you're buying yarn that is to make something that goes around your neck, or you're buying a, a scarf, a finished product that goes around your neck, probably going to want to know that there's some there's Surrey in there that is very fine, because that's going to be touching kind of a sensitive area around your on your body. So it's not just that the fiber is, all of the fiber is fine, it's that the licensees are pledging to make the appropriate match between the fiber and the use? Yes, exactly. That's one of the things that they should be doing to make sure that you get a product that is, again, quality, that's really going to hold up. And that's going to, you know, if it's something that, say, goes around your neck, that that's something that'll feel good on you. I love that idea because it's it's something where you're that you're relying on someone's expertise, not just to say, I want something in this number of microns or I want it to check these boxes. It's I'm relying on you and your understanding of this fiber to give me the best result, whatever it is that I'm purchasing. Yes, absolutely. And so, for instance, if you are a fiber artist that has a garment in mind, for instance, that you want to make, one of the things that you should be able to talk with the farm about is what is the most appropriate yarn that you, grower or yarn seller, <laughs> have relative to the garment that I'm making? So outerwear, for instance, tends to be more of a mid-grade fiber. Like I said, something like rugs, some home goods items, those can be coarser because they're going to get a lot of abrasion to them. 
again, the really fine stuff going around the neck, maybe some some items that gloves or hats that or a sweater that you're not going to wear often, for instance. It's a, something for a special occasion. Right. That might be something that you use that where you really use something that's very fine. Because again, it's not going to get a lot of that abrasion. That is just kind of a remarkable level of versatility that I hadn't really thought of. I think there's often this drive for everything to be fine, 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 fine. And I really love that idea of having something that is high quality at all areas of the range. Yeah. And I think the other thing, too, to keep in mind is that, or that I don't think we as alpaca owners necessarily, or Surrey owners, often don't understand. But one of the interesting things is if I give somebody some 25, which is a mid-grade, maybe even a little high, grade micron Surrey fiber, and I let them feel that between their fingers, and then I give them some other animal fiber, not Surrey, not even Wakaya, that is 15 micron. Well, that 15 micron should feel amazing and certainly should feel better than the Surrey. But oftentimes it doesn't. And it's because of that scale height and the scale length that Surrey has that gives it just an incredible hand. So even though it's a little bit coarser, hence stronger, it can still feel absolutely fabulous. And I think that's a quality that we as Surrey breeders need to talk about a little bit more because it is a true advantage that Surrey has over some other fibers. And I guess the other thing I would add is that it blends beautifully. And you have to be careful because if you take that 25 micron Surrey and you blend it with 25 micron sheep's wool, that sheep's wool will actually draw the uh, Surrey down. It, it won't enhance things. It won't keep it the same. It'll detract from its hand. So that's something else that folks have to remember. You can look at it and say, okay, well, that's about the same micron. Those should go well together. Not necessarily so. When you're talking about blending, do you have to try to be careful to match things that are a similar staple length? And I ask that because I don't know very much that has an eight inch staple length or is it sometimes cut? Uh, it's definitely an advantage to have the same staple length, but very rarely does it. I, the, the things that are most popular to blend with Surrey seem to be at the smaller mini mill level. They'll use a lot of uh, merino top. And that usually has a shorter staple length than, than the Surrey. The things that I like to blend with Surrey are things that have similar quality. Silk, bamboo, tensile. The disadvantages for the bamboo and tensile are that they are plant fibers. So if you're, if you're going to dye, you have to keep that in mind that they may, if they are not evenly distributed in, in the fiber with the Surrey, they may not take dye well, and you'll have these little clumps of white in them. Silk, of course, acts both ways, so it will take the dyes as well. Yeah, the, both of those plant fibers, both tensile and bamboo, have the same kind of luster and feel that Surrey does, so they play very well together. So, Laurel, you mentioned that you raise wakayas as well as Surreys. How Do both of you have a background in, in raising fiber animals, or how did you come to be Surrey growers? I was just absolutely mesmerized by the animal when I first saw them. And so, no, I, I haven't always raised fiber animals, but I was really blessed to have gone to a high school where there was weaving and, and such, and also very fortunate to have a mom that was a little bit ahead of her time in some ways because she 
spun, she didn't knit, but she spun fiber and we'd go to buy sheep's fleeces and, and she would spin them up and that's been my exposure to uh, to them. Yeah, mine, uh, well, let's just say my road to getting into alpacas was kind of funny. But what I would say, and, and not textile related, it's funny because I my mom actually was a dress designer. Oh. Uh, like she actually did that for a living. And my husband, he was initially a buyer for a large retail chain in apparel and then got into the manufacturing side. So I sort of have had the textile industry around me uh-huh. for all of my life, but was never particularly interested in it. And, you know, I just had kind of was doing my own thing and ended up with the animals. And once I had them, though, that was sort of when I started to think, gosh, what do you do with this fiber that comes off of them? (laughs) What's this all about, by the way? (laughs) And so... I actually, though, that was really kind of the start of my journey because I ended up, in order to learn, I ended up sort of attaching myself to some people. And I purchased my first animals in 2004. And really back then, there was definitely a not, not much at all being done with Surrey here in the U.S. They really were show animals and people were taking the fiber off and, uh, you know, just kind of pitching it, I think. But I ended up really finding, say, two or three people who really... I thought understood the fiber well, and I found kind of a niche product out there, uh, Needlepoint Yarn, and uh, Peru had one product that they sold to all the Needlepoint stores, and they were using Wakaya, uh-huh. and I just thought, you know what, I, I think Surrey would be beautiful in Needlepoint, and that kind of got me into it, and so I ended up working with a mini mill that was just phenomenal. She's not in business anymore, um, but she was phenomenal. And I learned a lot from her. And about that time, there were more tools, I guess, science-based tools that were coming out for breeders. And I really just became fascinated in with the, in addition to the business component, which I'd mentioned before, I also just became really fascinated with the science behind breeding for fiber and for the qualities of fiber and how that actually related then to the making of yarns or end products. And I just I just sort of went down the the path, if you will, and really immersed immersed myself in it and have been forever twenty years later, I'm still just fascinated by it all. Needlepoint absolutely makes sense when I think about something that would have a lot of luster and that would take dye beautifully. I bet that is spectacular. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of wool and silk threads that are out there for needlepoint. And I, and I at the time, I just thought, well, gosh, Surrey really kind of has that luster component to it right? Um, without adding the silk. So, yeah. So neither of you had a particular background in animal husbandry or, or raising fiber animals before. How has it been learning to be Surrey breeders? Well, that's been my favorite part because in my previous life, I was a physician assistant, and so I had this bent towards science and biology and things like that. And one of the fascinating things about alpacas is there really isn't a whole lot of, at the time, there wasn't a whole lot of science in back of taking care of them. There was still a lot of, uh, you know, pretty pretty healthy learning curve on what to do and what not to do. So anyway, they're they're actually very incredibly easy to take care of. 
they're gentle on pastures and they don't necessarily have to have a supplemental feed. They have to have a mineral mix. And they have a few peculiarities that make them intriguing as well. So there was a lot to attract the scientific part of my nature that made them fascinating and, and fun to take care of. And they're easy. They're, you know, size-wise, they're, and I, I'm trying not, I don't mean to put down sheep, but one of the wonderful things about alpacas is that their center of gravity when they're adults is pretty much the same as our center of gravity. So when you're doing anything with them, whether it's to give them an injection or a medication or just handle them, put on their halter, whatever, they're where we are. When I have to do anything with any of my sheep, I'm already out of balance because I have to bend over. Huh. So that makes them a little bit more of a challenge to handle physically. And as smaller livestock, they're easier than taking care of a cow or a horse or <laughs> some of the bigger <laughs> livestock. So that's nice too. Yeah. I, you know, I would say overall, I mean, I've always been an animal person, you know, had horses and dogs and cats, et cetera. So I guess the fun part for me, and one of the things I tell people who are thinking about owning the animals is even now, it is best to have an entrepreneurial spirit about you and a real eagerness and willingness to learn and to learn as we go, because there's still research being done about alpacas. There's still things that we are learning, not just the fiber, but from an animal husbandry standpoint. And you have to be willing to go with that. You have to be willing to say, okay, you know what? I think there's probably not an answer yet out there for this. And that's okay. We're sort of all learning as we go. And I like that. I like that about the, our community, the broader community, alpaca community. Uh -huh. And I have just enjoyed that ongoing learning that I've done with them. I'm glad Liz brought up community because that is one thing about the Surrey community is pretty doggone tight. In particular, the Surrey Network has done a great deal to advance not just our little niche in the industry, but the industry as a whole. But we also are a pretty tight group that help one another and out, out at shows, transporting animals. Uh, if somebody has you know, something happened where um, some sort of catastrophe, people quickly step in to assist one another. The difference being that instead of being the farmer down the road, where that kind of thing goes on in our own counties and, and hometowns, but this county, this hometown is actually across the country. Yeah. But it's really neat to see how people will step in to, to assist one another and take care of each other and all work to do advance the industry. As a fiber artist, in order to try out Surrey for myself, where would you recommend that I look? Well, well. I'm going to give this to Laurel because she's in charge of our website. Oh. On the, the Surrey Network <laughs> website. The Surrey Network has a, uh, a website and we are constantly working on providing as much information, not only for our own membership, obviously, but also for people who might be interested in having the animals or uh -huh. people who might be interested in using the fiber. And so we're really kind of in a big push right now. We, we just renewed and rejuvenated the website a couple of years ago, but now we're really into a push to try and make it even more relevant. And Liz has been very involved in some new videos that our fiber committee has put together. And they are, they, they bring goosebumps 
when I watch them. They are absolutely amazing. We have one on felting with Surrey. We have one on spinning Surrey, one with weaving Surrey, one with knitting. They're just amazing with, with absolutely wonderf- um, wonderful fiber artists featured within those videos. So I'd suggest at first you go ahead and visit the website. We have our members listed there. Uh-huh. Uh, you might be able to find somebody close by that has product or raw fleeces available for you. And then, of course, festivals. There are a lot more alpaca breeders out there at the various fiber festivals across the country. Liz, you have any anything to add yeah, to that? Yeah, you know, I would say I think on our website, I think we've got a tab for Find a Farm. And one of the things that we've actually done is asked our members, I mean, it's obviously to each farm, but we've encouraged, I should say, our members to go in and they can select products, broad categories, but products that they have for sale. So they can check what if they've got raw fiber for sale, if they have roving for sale, if they have yarn for sale. I don't know that we have one for end products, but those three categories for fiber artists uh-huh. is usually what they want to know. And then we also have a tab for the Surrey Simply Stunning uh-huh. mark that, that I think that's under programs. And that then I think on the side, Laurel, uh, we've got farms, right, that are members and then that rotates through so that it can help people. But on the find a farm, you can break it down by state. So you could go into your own state and see if you see anything in there that, you know, if there's a farm that's near you. It really is special to make a connection. And in some cases, you can make it with a specific animal, but even to make a connection with a farm and say, oh, this is Fuzzy's friend or or, or this is Fuzzy and, and I love this yarn and I have had a connection with where it comes from. There's something really special about that. And I think having a less common fiber makes that even more prized. Yeah. And I think that that really kind of folds into a broader trend, I think, within the textile market, which is about sustainability. And that word has, I think, a a very broad and different definition, broad definition and different perhaps for various, you know, from person to person. But one of the elements of sustainability a lot of times is kind of that, I guess we now call it farm to fashion or really understanding where you're where your raw materials come from mm-hmm. and getting to getting involved at a much earlier stage than just going into a store and buying some yarn that, you know, who knows where it came from kind of thing. Alpaca people are definitely just, again, broadly speaking, both Surrey and Wakaya, I think have really kind of been on, on at the forefront of that for people and getting out to festivals, et cetera. And where you can greet an alpaca right in the eye. They look you in the <laughs> eye and you can say hello. You know, the Surrey Network has been involved in a lot of different education. I think I remember the Surrey Network has been, you know, involved with SOAR at various points in the past when I was first coming on, so 15 or 20 years ago. So if I'm not raising Surreys, are there still benefits to being part of the Surrey Network? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think a lot of times people do think about, you know, oh, I guess you have to own a Surrey in order to be a member, and that's absolutely not the case. We encourage Anybody who is interested in the fiber to join as well, whether you're an owner or not. We have a number of educational webinars that we put on. We have a symposium that generally has a fiber component to it in terms of education. We have a fleece show once a year that not only involves submitting fleeces, but also we have a whole segment for submitting yarns. If you're a spinner, you may want to submit your yarns for into the competition. We have a fiber arts component to that. So you, if you have finished goods that, that use Surrey, you can submit that. 
and then get feedback from the judges, et cetera. And we've actually recently, and this, you don't necessarily have to be a member for this, but we have recently started something called Surrey Sip and Share, which is a monthly event, a Zoom event, and you can dial in and we select a topic. So, so far we've talked about blending on one of them, uh, blending with Surrey. We talked about knitting with Surrey and kind of went through and people can just share good experiences they've had. Um, we hope there's a lot of those, but they can also ask questions if they've run into a challenge using the fiber in that particular medium. And then there are people there to kind of walk them through and give ideas and suggestions. People can hold up items that they've made to talk about. It's a very casual environment. We will have one on weaving, one on spinning, one on felting. So hopefully, I think it's kind of catching on. We've had some really good participation. But again, that's something that you don't need to be an animal owner to do that. And then you can be a licensee. And you don't have to be a member to be a licensee for the Surrey Simply Stunning program. But it's let's just say it is more cost efficient to be a member. Because if you're a member, it's free. If you're not a member, you have to pay to be a licensee. But that's another reason to, uh, if you're a fiber artist and you want to have that on your end products when you're using Surrey, it's another reason to do that. Sure. And previous episodes of these sipping shares are on the website. If people want to, you know, can't attend because they have some sort of conflict, they can always go back and take a look at them and still learn and enjoy them. They're all recorded. I find myself hoping that occasionally there are photo bombs. Do any beasts ever come to your sip and share? <laughs> I think we haven't had anybody sitting out in the barn yet, but <laughs> maybe when it gets warm again. <laughs> there you go. My daughter used to compete in obstacle classes as a as a kid. It's part of the the alpaca shows. And I came home one day. One of the ways to make your alpaca bomb proof is to just go and take it all over the place. And <laughs> I came home, and here she is walking me up the alpaca up the the steps from the basement, fortunately carpeted, and through the house. <laughs> it's a little, a little like a bit of a double take when, <laughs> so you never know. <laughs> so that's a way to make sure that neither your alpaca nor your mom. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As long as they don't poop in the house, I'm okay with it. <laughs> and their feet are clean. <laughs> yeah. Well, Liz and Laurel, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed spending time with you and learning more about Surrey's and the Surrey Network. Thank you for having us. Absolutely delightful. Thank you. Thanks to Liz and Laurel and the Surrey Network for sponsoring this episode. Thank you for listening to the Long Thread Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate the show and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again.